Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever. You asked and we answered. Thank you so much for sending all of your wonderful questions. And so here we are with a bonus Q&A episode. I'm really excited to invite producer Sanford on to the show to ask me your questions. And I'm really excited to get started. So let's take them on. Hello, producer Sanford. Hi, Juliana. How are you? I'm great, Sanford. How are you? I'm feeling the leafy green love. Yay. (laughs) Okay, here's our first question. Kevin from Facebook wants to say, I'm going to do that again. Kevin from Facebook wants to know, a whole food plant-based diet doesn't mean you're going to be rail thin as a person. Can you explain and uncover some of the hidden calorie traps in a whole food plant-based diet? It's so interesting because people think you automatically are going to be at your ideal weight if you decide to go on a whole food plant-based diet. And there are several pitfalls that I've come across in the 16 years teaching this way of eating. There's like a lot of gray area between weight and diet and all that. And it really depends on what you're eating, how much you're eating, and how frequently you're eating. So I run a weight loss support group. I do a lot of weight loss with my clients. And so I have a lot of people that have been eating a whole food plant-based diet and can't figure out why they can't get to their goal weight if if their goal is indeed to lose weight. So yes, there are some traps. Some traps would be eating too frequently. Being in the fed state throughout the day, you know, you're constantly feeding your body and you're constantly in that, that, that roller coaster of this hormonal cascade that happens every time you eat and digest and absorb. So you want to eat less frequently throughout the day. You want to make sure you're concentrating on whole plant foods. So I know you said whole food plant-based, but you want to stick to the wholest version of that. So you want to avoid those really refined foods like flours and sugars. I don't really incorporate those as part of a whole food plant-based diet. What I do recommend is, is eating that list of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices in infinite tasty combinations. But that means limiting your processed foods like oils and sugars and flours and all that. That is the biggest trap I've seen. I've also seen, you know, plant-based in the last few years, especially develop this kind of health halo. So you'll see it as a marketing tool on packaging. It'll say plant-based. So people think, oh, I could eat as much of this as I want and not gain weight. And the truth is you can't eat as much as you want, no matter what it is. You could still overeat in general, even if it's on whatever it is, even if it's a whole plant food. So if you're not at your ideal weight and you're trying to lose weight, you need to think about how frequently you're eating, what exactly you're eating, make sure you're sticking to the whole foods and you're just not in the fed state throughout the day. It's so, you know, it's kind of crazy to think that you could still not lose weight eating whole foods, but indeed it is true. So you have to kind of really monitor how much, how often, and what exactly the details of your diet are. You're so good at this. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. Here's our next question. This is also from Facebook, um, from Helen. And Helen wants to know, what is the best substitute for butter? Great question, Helen. Thank you. I don't recommend any kind of substitutes for butter per se, and it depends on what context. So I was actually speaking to a friend today about toast. And if you're going to have a whole grain or ideally a sprouted grain toast and you're looking for a topping, I would prefer you go to nature and have like a smashed avocado or hummus or a nut butter or a seed butter. And then you could decorate it with all sorts of other kinds of deliciousness and make it a a whole food version of a toast bread. Now, if you're baking, there's all sorts of other ways to 
incorporate healthier foods. You could you could swap out butter. It just depends on the context. So for instance, if you're making saute, and if you're doing a saute, I would say saute with water or vegetable broth. You don't need butter in the pan to get that same effect. Um, there just the, depends on what you're swapping it out for. But I don't recommend butter and I don't recommend the plant-based versions of it either because I was just looking at labels again today. There's still a lot of saturated fat in a lot of these products. So you're much better off not having any of that and going towards the whole foods instead. Juliana, what about like um, olive oil? Because a lot of people use olive oil uh, as a substitute for butter. What, what do you think about that? So on my plan, a whole food plant-based diet does not really include oils. And that's what the, my book, The Vegetarian Diet, is about, is that, you know, olive oil is not bad for you, but it's definitely not necessary. And oil is pure fat. It is 100% fat. And it's basically extracted out all of the fiber, most of the nutrients, and you're left with pure fat, which is shockingly one cup of oil, no matter what oil, is about 2,000 calories. So it's an entire day's worth of calories. And how easy is it to get a cup of oil? You drizzle some on your salad, you saute a little of your onions and your, your, your dinner, or you make an omelet with it, whatever it is. That is not, it is so easy to get too many calories and it is pure fat. So I do all of my cooking, all of my recipes are oil free and you don't need oil. In fact, you won't even miss the oil and you could save hundreds or thousands of calories a day and definitely in a week. So most people come to me to lose weight. And um, of course, there's people that don't, but there are people that are trying to lose weight or improve their cholesterol levels. They don't need to incorporate any oils. That's just an easy way to just make a big difference in their diet. So it's not necessary. Okay. I just want to say for your listeners that I just had to pick up my chin off the floor <laughs> because I didn't know that about oil. I had no idea. I thought oil was the healthier, was the healthier option versus butter. So isn't that interesting? Well done. But that's a good point. And so the question not asked often enough is compared to what? So yes, olive oil is better than coconut oil and olive oil is better than butter, but neither are A, essential and none of them are like necessary. So we don't need them in our diet, dietarily speaking. And we are better off without them, it looks like. Now, in the Mediterranean diet, the reason everyone kind of, this is literally what my deep dive was into the Mediterranean diet when I wrote the Vegetarian diet, is that everyone thinks that the reason the Mediterranean diet is so extraordinary is because of the olive oil, the fish, and the red wine. But really, it's, it's because it was a whole food plant-based diet. And olive oil fit the scene then because people needed more calories. But in our day and age, we don't really need, most people don't need more calorie, most of us, the majority of the world population at this point, um, we don't need more calories. So we're better off getting our calories from whole plant foods with the fiber, with the nutrients intact, and there's no reason for it. I wouldn't say it's horrible for you. It's not like, I think coconut oil is really not healthy at all. And I think um, animal products, not healthy at all. So again, you have to always look at the, the compared to what question. That's the most important question to ask. I'm going to have to go through my pantry tonight and <laughs> take out all of my olive oil. Okay, here's the next question. Also from Facebook, Michaela. First of all, Michaela wants, wants to tell you that. She says, thank you for everything you do. You are amazing. I have to agree. Um, she has, it's sort of a two-part question. So the first question is, um, can you talk a little bit about iron and absorption in a plant-based diet, which actually, I don't know if you remember something that you and I have actually discussed. And the other question she has is about weight loss and a plant-based diet and density foods and calories. Can you talk about that? So let's do iron and absorption, absorption in a plant-based diet first. What do you think? 
So yes, this is a very good question. And when I tried to go plant-based when I was a teenager, this was the one thing that scared me away because, oh, you're going to be iron deficient. Well, alas, it turns out there is the same amount of iron deficiency anemia in plant eaters as in omnivores. And this all goes down to the point of just because something is good doesn't mean more is better. So there's two types of iron. There's heme iron, which is found in animal products. And there's non-heme iron, which is found in plant foods. Now, heme iron is indeed better absorbed than non-heme iron. However, just because it's better doesn't mean it's actually better in the body because what happens is it's absorbed so well and it happens to have a pro-oxidative element and it basically causes inflammation, causes the disease process to take place. So we don't want to have this heavy hit of iron and it's actually better to get your iron from plant sources. That said, there are issues that take place in plant foods like phytates and things that, and tannic acid found in tea, calcium found in fiber and polyphenol, stuff like that. These different compounds that can get in the way of iron absorption. So because of that, on a plant-based diet, we do need to be mindful of getting enough iron. So the recommendations for the RDA is to get about 1.8 times the RDA. I don't recommend anyone really counts things. I instead like to make sure people are incorporating their leafy greens. That's why we talk about leafy green love. We want to make sure you're getting legumes. We want to make sure you're getting your nuts and seeds. The other kind of cool hack, if you will, is combining your iron-rich foods with vitamin C-rich foods because that helps improve absorption. So that looks like if you're going to have, you know, your your beans and rice, have some... and have, you know, where you're getting your iron. So you're going to have some uh, salsa with some tomatoes. You're getting your vitamin C and that's going to help absorb the the iron in the beans. Or for instance, if you're going to have a salad, a big leafy green salad with some beans, put some lemon juice or some vinegar on top. So you help absorb the iron. So it's kind of a sort of food combining, if you will, where you're including vitamin C rich foods like tomatoes and bell peppers and strawberries and all fruits and your iron rich foods, which again are leafy greens and legumes. So legumes, of course, are all beans and lentils and peas and hummus should be a food group and tempeh and tofu or soy foods. Those are are great sources. Um, Also, other excellent sources of iron include quinoa, brown rice, tahini, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, blackstrap molasses, and dried fruits like raisins, prunes, and apricots. So if you do that together, And the last tip would be to avoid having your iron-rich foods like with coffee or tea. So you want to separate your coffee and tea from your meals to help enhance absorption or just to help avoid um, getting in the way of absorption. And what about about, uh, a weight loss and a plant-based diet regarding density? Uh, What would you say to Michaela about that? So yes. So basically... You can eat a whole food plant-based diet and you ha- you can think about calorie density. Now with my clients, I don't count calories. I don't have anyone count anything. We don't talk about macros. We don't talk about calories because it really doesn't matter. It's just about eat- getting a nice variety of these whole plant foods. However, if you look at the different foods, you know, vegetables and fruits are the lowest calorie density foods. So you really can't, you could eat as much as you want and mushrooms. You could eat all of that. You're getting so much nutritional bang for your caloric buck. It's just tons of nutrition, very few calorie. But then you go down the spectrum and whole grains have more calorie density, fewer unique nutrients. You go to, you know, legumes, they have lots of nutrition, but also some more calories. And then you go to nuts and seeds. So just not the calories themselves, but I do recommend the, what the recommendations are, are one to two ounces or 30 to 40 grams of nuts and seeds a day. So a quarter cup, half a cup a day, that's where you should get your essential fats from. Those are the most concentrated calorie 
foods on a plant-based diet because we're eliminating oil by by what we just discussed before that wouldn't be a whole food anyway so eating a variety if you look at my six daily threes which you could find on my website and in my books plantbaseddietitian.com i have the six daily threes kind of everywhere um it just prioritizes food so one to two ounces of nuts and seeds a day are included but you don't want to have you don't want to overdo it on the nuts and seeds you don't want to overdo it on on certain foods and so staying more towards like filling your plate with vegetables and fruits that's a great way to make sure you stay on the lower calorie density side and limiting, you know, if you're worried about weight, again, it goes back to how much you're eating, how frequently you're eating, and the overall makeup of your diet. Today, I'm excited to share this wonderful company called Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high-quality ingredients. What I especially love about Organifi is how in alignment they are with the concept of Choose You Now as their mission is to unite the world through health and happiness by providing access to high quality nutrition, education, and community. Choosing you now begins with how you nourish and feed yourself. You are quite literally what you eat. One of the most intimate relationships you have with the outside world is through your food. You take it in every day, often multiple times a day, and this food gets broken down and transformed by our bodies as it evolves and morphs into our future cellular matter and of course, diet is the number one most powerful influence we have on our health. And you get to choose you now in each bite, again and again and again. One of my favorite of their products is Pure, a blend of probiotics, apple cider vinegar, aloe vera, lion's mane, and more. Their products span the rainbow with items such as red juice, green juice, and gold. Visit Organifi.com slash choose you that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash C-H-O-O-S-E-Y-O-U and use the code CHOOSEYOU as the discount code when you check out and save 20% on your order. This is really interesting. I love it. Okay, here's the next question um, from Facebook. James wants to know if you ever supplement with vitamins and minerals. Thank you for your question, James. And it's an important question. And a lot of people argue, oh, a plant-based diet isn't perfect because it doesn't have everything. Well, I argue that there is no such thing as a perfect diet. And every diet is not, you know, it's either lacking in certain things or it's over in too many things. And from what I've read, and obviously I'm a sucker for the evidence, I will read everything and I will change my decisions based on the evidence. And there is no perfect diet. However, a whole food plant-based diet properly supplemented is ideal in terms of what we've seen in the literature in terms of reducing your risk for pretty much every chronic disease, almost every chronic disease, and decreasing mortality and, you know, helpful with sustaining a healthy weight, all of that. It's just the best way to eat that I've seen in the evidence and with the hundreds or thousands of people at this point that I've worked with is with a whole food plant-based diet. That said, there are six notable nutrients on a whole food plant-based diet. And I talk about this too. I've got videos and um, it's in my books, it's on my website for more information about the notable nutrients, because I think this is very, very important. Those nutrients are five micronutrients and one macronutrient. So the five micronutrients are, vitamin, and I'll go into a little detail on each of them, vitamins B12, D, K2, and then the minerals, iodine and zinc. And then the macronutrient that is essential and you need to be aware of on a plant-based diet are the omega-3 fatty acids namely the long chain omega-3 fatty acids, the EPA and DHA. So let me give a little bit brief statement on each of those. Vitamin B12 is a water-soluble nutrient. It is an essential vitamin 
And it is very hard to get in the diet when you're not eating animal products in our new day and age where we we basically wash all of our produce. We don't drink from streams and lakes. We we basically are sanitizing our food. And B12 is made by, by microorganisms found in the soil. So we wash away the soil and therefore it's hard for us to get. So we do need to have it. It is um, something that if you don't take in, you are at risk for um, irre- potentially irreversible neurological damage. And so it is very easy, very safe, very cheap to supplement with B12. And I recommend, well, I go by the science. I have this published in my journal or books, the dosing schedule, but there's, you could look at my website about this. Um, so you can remember the numbers, but you want to use cyanocobalamin as a form of B12. You want to do it. You could either do 50 micrograms twice a day if you like to take lots of pills, or you could do 150 micrograms once a day, or you could just do once a week, 2,500 micrograms of B12. The good thing about B12 is it's water soluble, so you don't have to worry about taking too much. It's really hard to do too much. Not that I'm asking you to try that at home. You know, don't don't play with that. But um, we haven't seen that really in the literature. It's very, it's a nice, safe, water soluble nutrient. If you take too much, it will um, be excreted out. It is a picky one, and that's why there's that kind of picky dosing schedule because of all these other factors like intrinsic factor and absorption. So just like the most finicky vitamin. And um, you just kind of have to be mindful of that. The other vitamin is vitamin D. And interestingly, this is not unique to a plant-based diet. It is something we're seeing around the globe where a lot of people are having D deficiency. And so there's questions about why, you know, a lot of us don't go outdoors. We wear a lot of sunscreen because we're afraid of skin cancer. Uh, We have, you know, there's excess fat on the majority of the population at this point in the U.S. and a a big growing proportion of the population around the world and excess fat inhibits absorption of vitamin D. Uh, There's just different factors that come into play with vitamin D absorption. We're supposed to get our vitamin D from the sun. The sun absorbs, the UVB rays absorb into our skin. It gets processed via the liver and kidneys and becomes active. And it just seems like there's all these complications along the way so that people all around the world are seemingly having problems with having adequate levels of vitamin D. Because it's a fat-soluble nutrient, I don't blindly recommend supplementing to my clients. I have my clients going and getting tested for their D levels because it is fat-soluble, so you can't have too much. You don't want to over-supplement on D. So it is something to be mindful of. I have my clients just test at their regular blood work um, just to know what their vitamin D levels are and then supplement accordingly if necessary. Vitamin K2 is, we may need K2. It's a different form of K. We get plenty of K1 on a plant-based diet because that's where you get your leafy greens. That's why we have our leafy green love. We want to make sure you're getting lots of your vitamin K1. But it turns out that we may also need to consider K2, which is a form called menaquinone. And unless you're eating something um, this, this like natto, this Japanese um, fermented soybean product, which is kind of hard to find, and I don't honestly, I don't actually enjoy it, and it's hard to find, um, it's hard to get K2 on a plant-based diet. Do we need it? Potentially, maybe. It's a very, that's a precarious question mark, honestly. And then iodine is an interesting question because the reason they iodize salt is because there was all these problems with people getting enough iodine. It's something that shows up in different soils around the world. How close are you to the ocean and how good a quality is the soil where you're getting your produce. And unless you're eating uh, seafood, it's not so clear cut about getting enough iodine. Adults need about 150 micrograms a day. So if you're not doing salt, which a lot of people aren't doing these days, we're not doing the iodized salt. We're doing either avoiding salt because people have issues with their blood pressure or they're salt sensitive 
Or a lot of people nowadays are doing fancy salts like Himalayan pink salt or black lava salt or whatever, all these different salts that are not iodized. So salt and iodine have become an issue of late. And it's really interesting. We're seeing kind of a lot of uh, more thyroid issues and things that are associated with iodine. So just be mindful that you are getting some iodine in some form. And then zinc. Zinc you can get on a plant-based diet from your leafy greens and legumes and nuts and seeds again. However, there are certain things that compounds in plant foods that bind and make it a little bit more challenging. So just be aware that you're getting your six daily threes and be aware of getting your zinc. And if you're concerned about it, you may consider supplementing that as well. And then finally, back to the one macronutrient that I want you to be aware of, and that is the, well, are the two long chain omega-3 fatty acids, the DHA, docosahexaenoic acid, and EPA, acosapentaenoic acid. On a plant-based diet, we are taking an alpha-linolenic acid, ALA, which is what we can get from flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, walnuts, soy foods, and our body elongates them into EPA and then further elongates them into DHA. Now, when you eat the fish, that's where most people get these long-chain fatty acids from, which are essential in our diet. We need the ALA, the EPA, and the DHA for different reasons in our body. When you get, when you eat the fish, They've already converted it themselves. But when you're skipping the middle fish, we have to do the conversion ourselves. And so what we found is that people on a plant-based diet don't have the same levels of EPA and DHA as do omnivores or fish eaters. So does it matter? We don't really know because we tend to have the people on a plant-based diet tend to have a lower risk for cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's. So maybe it doesn't matter. But a lot of us are, are actually deciding to supplement with the long chain, a microalgae formula of EPA and DHA. So that's, those are the nutrients that I consider notable and what I, what I supplement on a plant-based diet. Interesting. You, you mentioned blood work earlier, which is interesting because our next question is from Carol from Instagram. And Carol wants to know, should people eating a whole food plant-based diet, blood, I'm going to do that again, guys. This is so like not my thing. I'm so sorry. Here we go. Carol on Instagram wants to know, should people eating a whole food plant-based diet get blood work more frequently to catch any deficiencies? What do you think? I suggest everyone get annual blood work. And it's important. If you have nothing wrong and you're healthy, hopefully you just get annual blood work just to know what's going on. And you want to know, like, you know, you, it's good to know how, if you feel good and you've got those kind of parameters that you could look at just on a day-to-day basis, but it's really good to check in and know what's going on on the inside. And in terms of deficiencies, yes, I do have people check for things like, you know, B12, I'll have them check their methylmalonic acid. I'll have them check for, you know, I also want to see lipid panels. I want to see the standard work that doctors will want to see as well. One of the most important ones that I look at, as I mentioned before, is vitamin D, because that would determine whether or not you supplement. Some doctors will test all sorts of vitamin and nutrient panels, but most doctors really don't because, you know, it would show up in different ways. It doesn't, it's not something that's very standard. So I would say get the general blood work, stay on top of it, look at your thyroid function, look at your liver and kidney function, look at your lipids. Um, and look for vitamin D and MMA and homocysteine, stuff like that, stuff that most doctors would order anyway. But I don't think you need to do it any more frequently than a standard American diet or any other kind of diet. I would just say that everyone should be on top of what's going on on the inside because it's just data points. It's just more information. And the more information you have, the better you can make the decisions to choose yourself now. 
Beautifully done. We love we love that connection there, Juliana. <laughs> Um, here's our last question uh, uh, for this episode, um, which I personally think is a really interesting question. It's from Jill, and Jill asked this on Instagram. Juliana, do you weigh yourself every day? Yes, I do. I am a big proponent of weighing yourself, and I feel like this is a big passion of mine because there's so much naysay and stigma about a scale. And to me, it's objective data. The scale doesn't look at you and say, shame on you. What did you eat yesterday? There's no guilt or shame involved. And I do a lot of work with weight loss and weight gain and eating disorders. I do a lot of this stuff and it's objective data and we're humans and there's like objective formulas for ideal body weight and there's an ideal weight range. There's no guilt and shame involved. It's all about a number and information. Back to a data point. The more you know, the more empowered you are and the more in control you are of the situation. If you just kind of deny it and not look at the scale because you don't want to have any like judgments on yourself or feel guilty or feel bad, then you're just, you're just denying yourself information. And I want my clients to be empowered. I want to be empowered. I want to know so that I can make a decision. And if my scale is creeping up, I'm going to own it. And I'm going to know why, because it's always a food. I'm not broken. You're not broken. It is always the food and you have complete control of how much you weigh. And if you decide to weigh, how much you decide to weigh, what you feel like in your body, how you want to feel in your body, what size you want to be. I want you to choose. That is literally the essence. That is where this podcast came from, was my work with my clients, my work with myself. And I know that I grew up in Hollywood and LA and as a dancer and as an actress where everyone was telling me how much I should weigh and what to do. And I've always been so self-conscious about my body. It's why I'm writing the Choose You Now Diet. It's why I'm doing this podcast is that I, I want to feel comfortable in my skin. I don't want anyone to tell me what I should look like or how I should be because this is my choice. And I've taken that choice back and I want my clients to do the same. I want you to choose you now. I want you to decide what's good for you. There are objective numbers. This is why I am against the whole, you know, denying the associations between excess weight. There are clear associations between excess weight and underweight and health um, associate what health implications. So ultimately, yes, I get on the scale. I recommend you get on the scale. I recommend that you choose you now, choose you now. It's just information and there's nothing wrong or bad or good or indifferent about this information. It's just a number. Hey, uh, Juliana, there's one more question from Sanford from the Choose You Now podcast. And Sanford wants to know if if someone wants to dip their toe in a whole food plant-based diet, like what is something Sanford, whoever this Sanford is, could do just to dip their toe and just try it out and see if it's for them? Well, mystery producer Sanford, I would tell mystery producer Sanford that this should be fun. And honestly, I love food and I feel like why not try something new and just think about all the positives? What can you add into your life? Not what you're taking away. Don't worry about like, oh, I'm never going to have X, Y, Z ever again. No, I'm going to try caviar lentils because I've never tried those before. I'm going to try this new cream of mushroom cauliflower rice recipe that Juliana is always obsessing about because it sounds good to me. Make it fun, make it delicious and choose you now. If you don't love it, don't do it. If you love it, own it, enjoy it and take note and add it to your repertoire. Thank you so much for all of your wonderful questions and comments. Please keep them coming. I'm so excited and maybe we'll have another bonus Q&A session coming up in the near future. 
If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.